Hi, this is Cam Smith, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. Hey, guys, why don't we eat? Dear, don't call the boss. I'll have your spam. I love it. I'm having spam, spam, spam. The mics are on. The afternoon is here. You have joined us at Triple R. Or maybe you haven't left, and that is a good thing because we're broadcasting. My name is Cam Smith. The name of the show is Easy. Gal Chapman, how are you? I'm very good, Cam. And yourself? You're looking great. <laughs> well, let's put it down to the sunshine. It's finally appeared this morning. Yeah, well, <laughs> v- v- vitamin D, I don't exactly. think, is, uh, is uh, overrated in any way at all. You know what? Looking very jaffy yourself, I might add. Oh, thank you very much. I washed this jumper especially for you. <laughs> um, thanks for joining us, folks. We've got a jam-packed show. Uh, we have so much to get through that normally Carl and I do a little bit of banter, but we're not going to do this. I will just say that uh, in the studio waiting to chat with us as I move to my running sheet, because I'm in the wrong one, uh, that we have Donovan Cook is uh, raring to go <laughs> a lifetime of food and food for life. And uh, as he came in today, he uttered a word we've never heard before, truffledge. We'll find out about what that means in a second. Uh, But also, just to let you know that uh, we will have market report with John. Uh, Popped into the market. It's a bit long, so um, Carl and I are sort of building around there. Sorry about the hands there, folks. And also, coming into the studio, we haven't seen him in here for ages he loves to grow Riesling. He makes fizz. Uh, he also makes other varieties as well. His name is Duncan Buchanan. He's an awesome guy. And I think he's also bringing in some fizz. So, Carl, something for us to look forward to. But let's have a chat to Donovan Cook. Donovan, a very, very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm getting there. I've had coffee and I've had croissant and I think that is the breakfast of the gods. Yeah, and then you're going to back it up with some champagne, so that's it. You're you're rocking for the rest of the day, ain't you? Well, it sets you up because, you know, the fat of the croissant maybe insulates us somewhat from the uh, the effects of the, uh, of the alcohol. I don't think you can go past champagne for breakfast, to be honest. What goes with it? Ah, uh, more champagne's normally the way forward, I reckon. Yeah, 
smoke salmon blini. Smoke salmon blini, but you'd have to have caviar with it, wouldn't you? Oh, so uh, yeah, yeah. And, a little bit. Yeah. And a bit of sour cream, That's probably. It. Or just do like the that. caviar and the champagne and blow out the smoked salmon and blinis. Mm. Now, growing up in Hull. Oh, yeah. As, you know, going in the Wayback Machine, smoked salmon and blini was probably not on your menu. No, I think as far as close to that we got was probably Attic and Chips and Mushy Peas, to be honest. I yeah, reckon. it was sort of a more prosaic version of the yeah. uh, smoked salmon. Um, what is it with the English about getting a perfectly good pea and destroying it? Um, I've just always been curious about that. Mushy peas. It's like but it if, was beautiful and then you <laughs> and then you destroy it. Yeah, but you don't make it with real peas. You make it with marrowfat peas, the ones that are dried and bicarbonate of soda. Yes. And they all ferment and then, you know, then they go green and yes. yeah, the special, especially with malt vinegar in there. Gotcha. Okay, so this this is the thing. So this is sort of the stuff that was um uh what uh, the the British Navy used to have. Yeah, for sure. Because that was one that they say, and I'm digressing really fast, but I'll get you back, we will come back on track, that with all the crappy food that the sailors had to endure, mushy peas was one of the, the nicest things <laughs> yes. to, to do. Anyway, let's not go there. Um, you left Hull and you've had an absolutely stellar career uh, working for the very greats. I mean, the... You know the thing, the the chefs that people build statues to, mm. um, and I was wondering before we get into you know where you are now, and we, I'm interested to where your head's at after all these years of fine dining, and maybe working with difficult chefs, mm. whether it's Melodie or not, or you know what sort of person you are. But tell us about some of the people you have worked with and how they have affected you. Um, you know, I started off in a, a canteen washing dishes, making mushy peas and chips and fish for factory workers. And then I, I was lucky enough to do my apprenticeship at the Savoy with a, a great of his time, Anton Edelman. And then I was very fortunate to snag a job at the waterside in with a guy called Michel Roux. I've heard of him. Yeah, he's quite... Yeah. He's passed away now, which is one of the saddest things of the last couple of years. But he was oh, basically... A god to me, he's, he's set me on the right path of um, learning all about food, not just taking it for granted, you'd actually have to prepare the food from scratch before you was allowed to cook it. So I, I yeah. started there, a bit full of shit, and he said to me, well, you're going to go on the butcher? And I said, I don't want to do the butcher, I, I want to I I cook the meat. And he goes, well, you're not going to cook well, yeah, the meat. Before you do the butcher. Yeah. yeah, you forget it. So, yeah, so <laughs> I learned how to butcher whole lambs, whole pigs, everything. Mm. And then after three and a half years with him, I went and worked for Marco. And Marco, at the time, was reasonably volatile. And I was there for two weeks as chef to party before he sacked the head chef and made me head chef at 23. Before he stuck his head in the target burner or something? Oh, no, he grabbed him by the throat and slung him out the back door and said, you're chef. I'm like, all right then. All right then. Don't, All right, and he please, goes, fans, somebody to cover your shift, and that's it. Don't hit me so hard, please. No, I learned very quickly, uh, you do your job for any of these boys, um, they'll leave you alone. It's a mutual respect. They have an eye mm. for design, attention mm. to detail, and above all else, they have a reputation to uphold. To get three-star Michelin is the pinnacle, and yeah. you can't have anybody send screwing stuff. that up yeah. or or imperiling it i remember mm. bourdain said it probably the best that an unpeeled broad bean 
was high treason. It was. It was. It was. I mean, we had to peel broad beans, shell peas, and then blanch the peas and then pop the shells off the peas. Yeah. That's a shit job, I can tell you that. Oh, popping them's all right, but actually the individual pea, taking that shell off the individual pea, so it's two halves of a pea. Oh! That's a pretty shit job. Oh, that's a shit job. And especially when the chef gives two tablespoons, and you're like, that's just taking me an hour to do one tablespoon. Yeah. 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 But the attention to detail, and also the fact that nothing was ever thrown away. Yes. You, the, at the moment, you've got this nose-to-tail kind of philosophy, but I've been doing nose-to-tail for 35, 40 years. Before Her- Fergus got onto it. Yeah, we all were. You know, the thing is, is you buy the lamb, you use the whole lamb. You buy the peas, you use the whole peas. Even though you shell them, you actually use the shells to make a stock to poach the peas in. Oh, that was clever. I hadn't thought of that. Um, Marco. Yeah. Devastatingly difficult person. Um what was the best thing about Marco? What was the best thing that you learnt from this this very difficult um, mercurial, we could call him, kind of character? Well, the thing is, as I said, if you do your job correctly, Marco's a piece of cake. Yeah. You don't try and cut corners. The way he shows you is the way you do it. And don't rock the boat. No, I mean, if he shows you how to fill out salmon like that, that's the way you fill out the salmon, regardless yeah. of... If Mr. Roo showed you f- to fill it a different way, you do it like that. In his house, you do it his way, and that's it. Well, did you know something there, folks? Uh, welcome, if you just tuned in. Uh, Donovan Cook is here, and uh, we're talking about great influences from insane people. No, not insane. Well, some of them are were a bit a insane. Bit. <laughs> yes. Me as well. I was a little bit insane back in them days. Yes. Um, and and talking about the influence of, of working uh, with... The greats. Um, I'm wondering, I dabbled a little bit in, you know, I have not nearly the experience or worked with the people, but I've worked with some people that have used Escoffier mm. as the Bible. Well, is Escoffier still relevant? Yes. And, and maybe we should describe who is Escoffier, first of all. Oh, Escoffier was a guy who used to work at the Savoy Hotel. Back at the Savoy. And yeah. when I did my apprenticeship there, they were just getting rid of his stoves. They were coal stoves. Yes. You actually had to light the fire and then put coal on all day and change your chef's jacket twice a day because it was all full of coal dust. Wow, those were the days, <laughs> hey? So he was a man who created the Peach Melba. Yep. He was a guy back in them days that have 110 people at his kitchen brigade, and he actually got sacked from the Savoy for clarifying the fish stock with caviar. So, wow, he was quite influential, and his yes. techniques are still there. You understand the it makes say, for instance, a salmon mousse, but in them days there was no Robocoop. Yeah. there was no KitchenAid. There was no. It was all chopped by hand or minced, and then put through a drum a, safe. A, a tammy. Yeah, that's why you'd have a hundred odd people. Because if you was a shit kicker, you'd be the tammy boy, wouldn't you? Yeah, tammy boy. <laughs> thank and thank God they didn't still have spit dogs, which uh, <laughs> which uh, that was something a little bit before that. But that was little dogs that used to go in. Um, being these sort of wheels to turn the roast, yes. but um, yeah. Anyway, we moved we moved away from there. All right then. Well, how about this for a question? When did you start moving away from the Escoffier view to the more dare we say it modern approach? Late twentieth century, mm. moving into the twenty first century approach to food, and what were those those things? So I suppose it, was it Marco? Uh, I think. It was a, a, uh, when I worked for Marco and when I worked for Michelle, I used to 
on my holidays, I'd go to stage, which means work for free. So when I went to the Wall yeah. Side Inn, the biggest compliment you could ever get was say, you've done really well this year, and by the way, I've got you to work on your holiday for free in France for six weeks where you pay yourself to go, you get paid nothing, and you get to sleep in staff quarters and you get a staff meal. And you have to say thank you. And you That's say, really great. Amazing. Thanks, Chef. Oh, by the way, you make sure you document everything you do and make a recipe, and when you come back, it all has to be documented. And that's where he became relevant for 35 years because every time you go over, you get new ideas from new restaurants, bring them back, and then you'd have to reproduce something in that vein, but in his style, if you understand what I mean. I do. I've worked in six three-star Michelins by doing that. Yeah. And I'd come back. So I, in, before I opened my own restaurant, I'd worked in eight three-star Michelins. Well, you know, <laughs> I was I was lucky enough to be in Ryan a while ago um, and uh, having a amazing dig there. And the one thing that I really took away from it, other than just your incredible technique, uh, is the fact that, you do not stop thinking about food. You're a man obsessed. Oh, you've got to be obsessed. You, I mean, you it's don't not a job. sleep that well. I don't think you sleep well at night. Would that be a, a good thing? Because before going to bed, there's all these dishes buzzing around in your head, possible dishes, mm. completed dishes, mm. um, and probably the same when you wake up. Oh, the thing What's is, it like being inside your head? At the moment, it's pretty tough because I've stopped drinking because I'm trying to lose 20 kilo because my wife's 50th birthday is coming up. She wants me to get into the wedding suit, which is a bit of a big ass. But anyway, uh, yeah, okay. so I think quite a lot because I can't <laughs> sleep at the moment. There's no alcohol to put me to sleep. So, yes. yeah. So, uh, the thing is, is if at the moment, I go and buy a lot of the stuff myself from the markets. Mm. So, that's an influence straight away because you can see what's coming. This time yeah. of year, I would normally have... Blood orange on with asparagus, but asparagus is two weeks behind, yes. and blood orange is three weeks early. Yes. So now it's like I'm waiting, the waiting game. But the mm. winter was so rainy, then wet, all the hair, um, yeah, the herbs and expensive. Everything's expensive, so yeah. you really need to think outside the box yeah. about everything. And that way is not only do I want to give stuff which is in season, but stuff which is affordable because I don't want to have to pass it on to the customer. And you want to make money. I want to make money, but that's why the nose-to-tail thing is relevant with everything from the the poultry, the meat, the fish, and the vegetables. You've got to use everything. Mm. So like today, I'm using cauliflower for the soup off the offcuts I use for the cauliflower for a party this week. So yeah. nothing's in the bin. And the uh, the cogitation is strong and always and constant, like mm. thinking, just going... How do I do things new? How do I keep the place afloat? And this is, of course, the restaurant called Ryan. What's the um, what's behind the name of Ryan? It's an Anglo-Saxon word for a course of life constantly moving onwards. Well, there we go. It's a bit okay. deep and influential, isn't well, it? Well, <laughs> no, but that, that, that sort of corresponds with what we're talking yeah. about here. Um, we did mention in the intro uh, when um, Carl and I would had a very brief little chat at the beginning um, that uh, you introduced us to a new word which we have never heard of, uh, and I think it wins the More Front Than Meyer Award mm. for restaurant diners. Mm. I think the word you came up with was trufflage. Yes, um... I was a little bit shocked, 40 years in the game, owning my own restaurant for 30 of those 40 years, and I had a table in last night for dinner, 
booked for truffle menu and normally every course gets truffle. And then after yeah. I served the first course, somebody whacked out a truffle from the bag and started shaving their own truffle. And when we asked what they were doing, they said, well, I want more truffle, so I brought me on. Who approached the table? Uh, it... Obviously, was it you? did you come from back of house? Did you come storming <laughs> out with the with the tea towel over the shoulder and a cleaver? Or uh, normally, I don't need to do that. I just right. look at them and they realise I'm not overly impressed. No, I only do that when it's gone beyond the manager talking to them, and then normally I don't need to say too much; just the stare. Yeah. I actually took out their third course, yeah, and just looked at them and explained what the course was, and they were very well behaved after that. But. As I said to you earlier, Cam, you've got two things to sell in a restaurant. One's food, one's wine. I actually sell truffle additional. So if you bring your own truffle, then I miss out on a sale. And there's cakeage, there's corkage, and now there's truffleage. Maybe the next one's entreage. I don't know. Things have changed. Yeah. Uh, Oh, we're going to move. I I need to to chat about um, something that um, is... An interesting thing in the fact that um, when two personalities come into a kitchen, because one of the things you do is that you work with other people. Mm. Like, you know, Raymond uh, Capaldi and you are, are, you know, like thick as thieves doing doing things. But there's something coming up um, at Ryan, uh, which for some reason I'm thinking of a sitcom in America that um, I'm probably – Aging myself. I don't know if Carl's heard of it. The Odd Couple. Hmm. Okay, that's good. I, I know about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, a similar age group, mate. But uh, as soon as I heard this, I was going, Victor Leong, Victor Leong. And I thought, wow, that's an interesting dynamic. So you've got Victor, who's, um, you know, he, he, I think he thinks he's a bit of a gangster, actually. Uh, but a faultless technique, great balance. But comes from a different sort of school of thought of cooking, and I'm, I'm wondering, um, you know Victor well, and tell us what's coming up, and how do you see the two personalities coming together? Uh, I've been a massive fan of Victor for many years. Uh, when he had his place down Smith Street, I ate there a couple of times, and it was fantastic. What was the name of that? Lee Hofuck. Yes. He just moved it into the city, and the yes. thing is. He does modern Chinese food, and I do... I don't know what you call my food these days. Is it French food or is it Donovan Cook food? Mm. But I use classical techniques in a modern way, and I think Victor does exactly the same. I would call it hot Don, uh, Donovan. <laughs> Hi, Donovan. Yeah. Hi, Donovan. Yeah. But Victor's food is delicious. It's innovative, but it's still very close to his classical roots. He's got balance right there, hasn't exactly, he? Exactly, yeah. exactly. And I think the collaboration between the two of us would be great. And the thing is, I worked in Hong Kong for seven years. At so, the jockey club, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the balance between Western and Asian food was always there. It's just how you treat it, who goes first, and then the second course. It's always got a compliment. You can't, like, start with massive flavours using Szechuan, for instance, and then move <laughs> into something delicate like a, a raw fish or something like that. So, so Veronique. Uh, yeah. No. So it's got, to, it's got to be balanced throughout the whole thing. So, yeah. Because uh, that's the th- – so when he, what are you guys going to be doing together, just if you can tell that, us? That's going to be a six-course lunch, um, and that's going to be September – the 11th, and September it's almost, 11th. Yeah, it's almost yes. uh, booked out. So if you want to go, then we better get in pretty quick. Yeah, wow. Because, yeah, we, I really wanted to get Victor in today to, um, to have the two of you mm. here to just bounce and say listeners could hear the difference between mm. 
um, you guys, but he's doing his, I think he's still doing his yum chows down at Lee Ho Fook, is he not? Yeah, he still does that on a Sunday, but he's in Singapore at the moment, I think. Is he? Oh, he's just come back, yeah. He's come back, mm. he's come back. Um, and uh, other things, I should sit and, you know, drag you in here all the way. Well, what other things are happening at Ryan got, at the moment? I've got another gig coming up with Talina Menzies in October. And the thing is, I've done plenty of gigs with George and Raymond, I think it's time to do something with some people I've not really worked before. But again, big admirers of this younger generation. Maybe I can learn something from them, eh? Well, yeah, that's it. Well, also, you know, very much um, you can certainly teach them. Um, you know, oh, where, would they listen? Where, though, where, eh? That's that's <laughs> what I was going to say. Uh, whether the, or not they want to listen. Uh, in conclusion, you're still thinking about food. You've worked for the best, but have you mellowed? Um, yes. Yes. You have to now because people have got human rights and things like that. (laughs) So you're not allowed to work them 18 hours a day, seven days a week, and then steal their money and go gambling so you don't pay the rent. Marco did that. eh? The whole kitchen team never got paid for a month because he lost all the money gambling. So, yeah, I had to have a word. Oh, is that why he's on TV so much? Oh, that was back then when we had okay. Harvey. So, yeah, back okay. then was funny. Oh, chef, we need to get paid. Otherwise, we can't pay the rent and we all live together. So. Wow. Whoops. Whoops. And you can't argue with him too much because oh, no, the head four, goes eh? on the target burner again. Yeah. Oh, he could grab you by the throat. Donovan, it's always good to chat with you. Always a pleasure, Cam. And Ryan, where is it, just so people know? 203 St. George's Road, Fitzroy North. Thank you. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. Thank God for sunshine, eh? Yeah, you got a right for once. Normally we come out and <laughs> in the sun and the sun comes out, but the last yeah. few times, mate, it was rather Melbourne dismal weather, but... It's yeah. glorious, the sun's coming out, yeah. and I'm starting to feel bitter already. Oh, that's good. Come on, let's come, come over here to the truck, and we can pretend it's a bar, and we can just <laughs> lean on it here. <laughs> there we go. I feel like I'm in the country races or something like that. Um, you said you've been a little bit, uh, little bit under the weather. Yeah, I had a, a virus that triggered asthma. Oh, no. So I dealt with the virus, but the breathing's still a little bit hard, but we're getting there, so life's still good. Did you uh, did you get sympathy from Franka? Did she uh, cauliflower fritters maybe? No verbal sympathy, no. sympathy, but she did cook up a storm. Yes. Not cauliflower, but she did a lot of other lovely stuff. I got stuffed capsicums and breadcrumbed um, this lamb is how she chops says in the oven. You, yeah, but <laughs> I, I'm a more social being, uh, more extrovert than she is. So. Right. But life's good. I know. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's kind of good. And um, one of the good things about moving into uh, well this this time of year is um, well, hopefully things can dry out a little bit. But uh, I'm sure the people of New South Wales and Queensland aren't too happy to hear about the continuation of uh, El Nino. Yeah. The yeah La Nina. Yeah, the, yeah, it's all about the dipole. Um, you know, it's funny, isn't it, that uh, a temperature that happens up in the uh, in the oceans, far, far away from us, has such ramifications. But we look like we're going to be uh, heading into another year of it. 
Yes, but I'm sure we'll deal with it and things will get a little bit better than what they've been. Um, people are still falling over when they see some of the prices, but they have to realise that we've been very, very spoiled. I keep saying to people, for the last 20 years, because when Mum and Dad went overseas 20 years ago and I was here on my own, um, one week I bought only six boxes of tomatoes. We sell a lot of tomatoes. And I sold them at $15 a kilo. Whoa. And, and red capsicums back then were $15. And why, were, 15, why were they so expensive then? Well, because we had a bigger hit um, of rain and cold weather yeah, right. than what we had at the moment. Yes. And, and also um, there are a lot more glass houses around. Yes. There are uh, a lot more farms that are uh, doing things differently than what they were before. Like a lot of the stuff that we were getting out of um, Sylvan and that, that's all gone. They don't grow a lot of uh, veggies there like they used to. Yeah, right. uh, a lot of the growers have moved north. Yeah. Um, north Victoria, New South Wales, Queensland, where the, the um, temperature is a little bit warmer. And that we can see in the asparagus because yeah. we've been selling asparagus from Mildura now for a month. And before that would never have been heard of. Yes, so maybe what you're saying is also the fact that because we have more and more diversity of what we have as well, we have more of an ability to flow around that rock when we get hit with... OK, lettuces are stupidly expensive. Come down. I... You no, know, were, were, were. Um, but I started thinking, all right, I'll buy spinach. You know, little yeah, because definitely. it grows really, really quickly, and the prices of that were pretty cheap, and it makes you look around suspiciously and go, "All right, okay, I've got that. That's really expensive. What can we do, uh, and what can we buy?" Pick the eyes out of the market. Definitely. I'm paraphrasing. And, and in another way, it's very good as well because a lot of us are very staid. I keep saying Victorians are stuck in their ways. Doesn't matter if you're born in Melbourne or not. Even a lot of the old Europeans have come to the market and they've bought this, 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 that and every week. Yep. And that's what they buy every week. Mm. And then sometimes you've got to stop and say, well, let's mix it up a bit. Yeah. You know, and then when things are expensive, that's the time when you stop and think. Because instead of buying, um, say, two kilo of tomatoes, you might buy half kilo tomatoes and you might buy a handful of salad mix and a fennel and have a salad like that. Yep. Or instead of buying two or three kilo and, and having a big cook-up, you might buy um, some tomatoes and maybe use um, preserved tomatoes, yes. either bought or done yourself. Yes. Uh, any other examples of um, the stuff that you've sort of pivoted around to uh, alleviate this, these times that we have experienced? Uh, actually, I'd like to, to tell you about cauliflowers. You know, yeah. cauliflowers, what they hit about eight, nine, ten dollars each. Yeah. And we were selling cauliflowers. Today I've got four dollars on a cauliflower. It's as uh, bigger than a person's head. You would get three to four meals out of it. Mm. No one's buying them. You know? Right. Now it's the time to buy a cauliflower, cut it into thick slabs, brush it with olive oil, shove it in the oven. Uh, or boil it lightly with a bit of olive oil and just a dash of vinegar, or if you're like me, you beg for a week and then, <laughs> and then you get um, um, battered cauliflower as a dish, and, and it's yeah. beautiful, you know? Maybe part of that is, uh, is food media, because uh, we seem to have reached peak roasted 
whole cauliflower maybe a year ago? Would that be a, a fair assessment? Yeah, but we never do it whole. Um, yeah. A lot of people buy the beautiful fresh cauliflower and say to me, oh, look, we're going to go home and do a cauliflower and, and cheese. And I say, why? Why? Beautiful fresh cauliflower. Mm. Just steam it or boil it and, and put olive oil in and get that texture, get that flavour out of the cauliflower. You cover it in cheese, you might as well have a piece of bread under the cheese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But... Like you said, it did. It did. A lot of people were doing that last year. That was the thing, wasn't it? I guess that. So now it's the time to do something different. Even if you did a tempura, it'd be nice. I'd like that. Mm. You might have to blanch a little bit before you do the tempura. But anyway, um, that was uh, just. uh, I thought we'd just go down that path a little bit. Uh, One thing I've noticed uh, because I parked in the uh, the far park. (laughs) Park. I went to the park. I need coffee. I was in the uh, the car park over there and uh, walked through and I noticed that uh, there's a lot of renovations that are happening with uh, the sheds uh, to the west of you. Yes, uh, they've moved uh, the people that were in A and B uh, back to their original positions yep. and uh, now they're finishing up putting all the um, electricity and water into C and D and then we'll move up there and then they'll renovate our roof here and hopefully... They'll do it quickly and we'll come back down here. I hear on the grapevine that they have different ideas. Really? Uh, I think that they'd like to put coffee carts and um, cake stalls and that in here, oh. but it's not going to happen, trust me. Oh, OK. <laughs> We're going to see John at the barricades at the Queen Victoria Market soon. Hey, we've done it before, you yeah, know, in, yes. in the uh, 60s. All the guys got together and all the big trucks went around the market and... Um, uh, they blocked off all the streets and half an hour later the big knobs were down and negotiating and they all went home again with a, a good resolution to to uh, the growers and um, the stallholders' delight. What were they trying to do? Oh, I, I think it was... Something part, that outraged Something outraged yeah, all, right, you know? all right, let's talk about produce because uh, I can hear people shouting at the radio going, yeah, this is good, it's a market report, right? Snapping fresh sherry. What are yeah. you doing with that? Well, you're normally... You're going to make me a Bloody Mary. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I need one. You're showing your age, mate. Yeah. Um, really? we, we might get a little bit more trendy. We might float a uh, anchovy or um, peanut butter going back to the 60s and 70s in it. Um, Did you say trendy? Well, yeah. <laughs> yes. I'll, I'll, tell I'll you, say you're showing your old-fashioned. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a good one. Go quick, on. Quick, quick. Yeah. I said to my mum one day, I said, hey, mum... Mm. There's beautiful sun-dried tomatoes around. You tell me you used to do that back in Italy up to when you were 19 because you were the youngest and that was your job. Oh, really? I said, why don't you do me some? Why don't you do me some? Yeah, I've got a great deal for you. She said, listen, I did it because I had to. Yeah. You smarties think it's trendy. You want it, go find a wife and do it yourself. I love it. Get on your nets. Now, now if you want sun-dried tomatoes, we go down to Dali and buy it. So, um, yeah, we think we're trendy. Nice pitch. I like the way you pitch it. Go on, do it for us. No wonder she bit you back. (laughs) (laughs) The the Nancy shutdown. (laughs) I got news for you and it's all bad. (laughs) So, yeah, um, so we all think we're trendy, but we're just, you know, recycling the wheel, basically. But, yeah, Yeah, I was was going to say that... Celery. Lately, it's been harder to sell, but 
there's a lot less of it around the market. Apparently, Friday morning, one of the biggest growers of celery in Australia didn't even come onto the market floor. So they must be having supply issues. Either they've got a, uh, a virus into the uh, crop or mm. maybe there's too much water or who knows, but they weren't there, I got told. My supplier had what I wanted, so that's all. I'm happy about that. Yeah. This is a vibrant green... Um, not 100% stringless, but it's not a stringy variety of celery like some of them. Yeah. The stringier ones are much coarser and, and better for a soup or, or something like that. Oh, this yeah, boy, stock. Still, still beautifully raw. So, the, yeah. the great thing is, and uh, was it you that taught me this, that um, you pull off the stalks and you, you, you fill, you, you, okay, you use the, uh, the outer ones for stock and stuff like that. Carefully, you don't get too many leaves in because otherwise it'll just take over. But there is a hidden little treasure within yeah. each celery. Yes, that's and right. Hang on, oh, yeah, stand, yeah. stand by. No, no. Oh, it's all right. I don't think you have to go and no, redirect someone. Yeah. You, you have that look. I know this that look over these years. Uh, but inside the celery, and I've said this many times um, speaking with you, the paler celery you just chop up. And you might have it with maybe with a little bit of onion and capers, and it makes the most divine salad. It does, and it's very good for you too because it's naturally high in sodium, salt, whatever. Yep. Um, there's plenty of fibre there. Um, it, it, it's good to eat and good for you as well. And it just has this really beautiful... Mm, how do we define it? It's it's not as coarse and as hard as the Yeah, it's got a lot of soft texture. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Uh, tomatoes, what's going on? Yeah, I brought you some tomatoes because we've got some beautiful heirlooms here. We've got a lovely roundish black Russian. It's got that beautiful brownie red green hues. Um, this is a, a, a very nice, tasty, juicy tomato. A few dimples? Yes, a few dimples. Ridge, ridges, I suppose, yes, yeah. Yes. And I've got the old style Rouge de Marmont here. It looks like a, a belly button on top. Yep. It's got a, a split in the skin which has repaired itself. It doesn't look pretty, but it's a very nice tomato. What would it split the skin? Would that, would that be um, water? It could be water. It could be down. someone knocked it. It yeah. could be that when they opened the doors to let some air into the glass house, maybe the plants shook a little bit too much. Yeah. could be a variety of things, but it healed itself. So it doesn't look pretty, but it tastes beautiful. Yay. And then we've got another one. This one is... Um, a big Adelaide? Yeah, uh, this one's a pink tomato. Yeah. I think there's a bit of commotion up there. This just fits in the palm of my hand, and I've got a big hand. It's got a beautiful pink hue. Mm. We were calling Polish pink, but... John has big hands, too. Some, just of, the, so some of the growers, they like calling it Polish pink. But it's a very sweet, juicy tomato. Yes. Uh, makes a beautiful salad. Now, we went to Mum's because we bagged up our sausages the other day. Oh, wow. And she made a beautiful salad. Um, one crunchy tomato similar to a Doncaster. Mm. The Rouge de Marmont and the Black Russian and that uh, Rouge really stood out. The sugar and the texture. All three were brilliant, but that one in a class of its own. So mm. get out there. There's so many. we got about... 10 or 12 different varieties of tomatoes out there today. So get out and choose. It's still a little bit expensive, but you have to eat 
tomatoes are part of our sta staple now, like, you know, garlic's become very important, everyone. Um, we've got dry Mexican, we've got fresh Chinese stuff. It's as pearly as ours, so yep. it's nice. Get out and try that. And, you know, case in point, the what we were talking about the, earlier on in the show, that we adapt and we, uh, we adapt to market conditions. Uh, maybe we have one or two tomatoes that are special. You get some really nice bread and you just have that on top and you go, wow, I'm eating tomato, this is really good. And then you open up a tin of tomatoes and then you have... I don't know, you make a matcha chichana or yeah, you know. No you're, shame in it because, no, um, because you sometimes you have to do what you have to do. Yeah. We're lucky we have our sauce in the bottles to make pasta. Yep. And we've got cans as well. Sometimes you need something a little bit chunkier and you haven't always we've got fresh tomatoes frozen raw in the freezer, but if you haven't got them, Wait you have to improvise. Go. Yeah, when well, yeah. you Italians you're always organised when it especially when it comes to food. Pick of the market, John. Pick of the market. We had some beans, they were hand harvested, $35 a kilo, they ran away. You can buy a machine picked for $20, they're alright if you buy them today, eat them today, tomorrow, but if you want to keep them a few days in the fridge and eat them whenever you're ready, you have to pay that little bit more. Yep. The flavour and the texture makes up for the cost, just buy a few. Um, We've got some beautiful cover and arrow out there. It's still time for that. Ooh. Franca made a pie with it because Joseph complained that he didn't like it on its own. Um, and she'd sauteed She made a pie? It. She, yeah, she sauteed it. Oh, what's in the pie? It, uh, with a bit of uh, bacon. Yeah. And then to make the pie, she got that and she put an egg through it, a bit of cheese. Um, what sort of cheese? Pecorino? A bit of pecorino. We grate our own. Yes. A um, bit more parsley and a yeah. bit more garlic. Yeah. And she cheated. She got the phyllo pastry or puff pastry or whatever yeah. and stuffed it in the middle of that and baked it in the oven until it was just right. Ooh. And she said, oh, I burnt it. I said, no, it's no, not it's burnt. The colour's just right. Oh. And... and um, it was nice and lean. I ate it raw, uh, sorry, cold Colder. as well as hot. Yeah. So, you know, it was really something nice. And again, it was something different, something we don't always do. Because no. normally we just serve the Cobblinera. Did, did everybody pat Joseph on the back and say, thank you for the inspiration, son? Yeah, not really. <laughs> <laughs> Why did I know that was, I, a, that I, was a Dorothy? I, I expected her to say, ah, oh, you two make me more work. But <laughs> she, she loves it. She really oh, loves it. Cavalanero pie. I love the sound of that. Well, now, see, the Sicilians do spinach. Uh, not spinach, silver bean. Mm. Um, and this was um, a, a little bit thicker and drier, so it was beautiful. So for a change, it's good. I love the sound of it. Dare I say it, no one should have a vitamin C deficiency at this stage of the year because the kiwi fruit are going off. The oranges are going off. And You've got so much, and you have so much capsicums too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we've got beautiful capsicums, which are very high in vitamin C. We've got big red ones. Yeah. We've got small red ones. We've got the baby snacking capsicums, three or four colours. If you look on Instagram, you'll see them. Mm. Um, and we've had a feast with the mandarins. We had sumos last week. Oh, they're good. I've um, got a couple of those at yeah, home. This, this week we've got a different variety. I can't think of the names. Sum but, sumos are the really, really ugly, yeah. ugly, they're ugly the ones. ones with a knob on top. Excuse the French. Yes. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, we've got a, uh, there's Imperials out there and there's so many others and there's Karakara oranges and there's normal oranges. There's a, still a few of the um, Sevils to make a um, marmalade. Marmalade and cordial. And, uh, yeah, we've got some ugly lemons out there. Uh, someone brought me some lemonades, which is 
uh, across. You can eat them raw uh, from home. Yep. Um, I juiced them and then I ate all the pith. I didn't throw anything away. Wow. Um, and I said no. to Frank, "Can I make a cake with it?" You know, it's sweet lemonade. Oh, okay. Sorry. It's just, um, I, I don't know if everyone else is doing. I'm going. Yeah, they're across. But it's okay. Like I said, yeah. Right. So yeah, and there's beautiful pears and apples out there that are still worth eating. Right. Melons, yeah, maybe give them a wide berth. Some of the watermelon and looks like it's uh, cotton wool, so I wouldn't bother. Yeah, wait, wait. All yeah. right. Well, look, I better go because uh, we're over time. We've had a little chat at the beginning. John, as always, thank you. Thank you for the sunshine. And uh, maybe we'll see you next week, but if not, a couple of weeks. Thank you. Yeah, we'll be here, mate. Have uh, a lovely day. Love it. Love it. Thanks, man. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up the Triple R website to find out how. So now it's time for Duncan Buchanan's Wonderful World of Wine. Mm -mm. You know, I've often said there's uh, just... Not enough clavinet. Hey! Go. Oh, there we go. And the reason why we have the live uh, sound effect is that we have live Duncan in the studio, and it's been a few. Feels like a few footy seasons. Yeah. Before that, I get everyone. It's just yeah. been just before that crazy little thing called COVID decided to knock the world about. So it's been over two years since we have gazed upon one another's lovely features. There, Cam Smith has been. <laughs> My God, prove you, me wrong. You haven't aged a bit. <laughs> Yes, I have. <laughs> yeah, I know. Hey, you look like you're terrible. This, What's going on? This beard hasn't got grey by itself, mate. <laughs> More salt than pepper. So, what was that pop cam? What pop Possibly. did we just hear? Well, you you were driving the bus and uh, driving the uh, the bottle. So we've got a bit of uh, Duncan Buchanan fizz. Yes. Uh, is this for this would be the? Uh, it's a. It'd, be, it'd even be Prosimo, or it might be some other thing that's no, even more special. Than some that. other thing. It's a. Lo- I was going to go French because I thought it's a bit special because we haven't seen one another for so long. But I went mm. local. It's a place that I work for called Rahona Valley down the Mornington Peninsula. It smells good. Oh yeah. So this is a, a two thousand and. 19 uh, vintage from Tasmania. So this is made up of, uh, you know, the three varieties that we associate with sparkling wine. Which should be called non-vintage apple Tasmanian. Should be. Nice. There's a a bit of apples there, isn't there? Definitely, and that's what we sort of look for. Yeah, you want that. Green granny. Yes, and that's what we kind of look for with sparkling wine. You want that sort of fresh green sort of acidity going on. Yes. It's from a little vineyard at the northern end of the Tamar River. Nicely elevated because you want those cooler climates, the cooler temperatures. Are they still, uh, still cool up there? Yeah, definitely. Because yeah. uh, we, well, this is something historically we, we spoke of how the French champagne houses are a little bit Chinese and Japanese and that they have a long-term view. And they took that long-term view a long, quite a while ago, like at least a decade, and did a buying spree uh, in Tasmania. And by the way, can I just also reiterate, it's great to see you. <laughs> Likewise, mate. Good oh, to see you. Good, 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 good to see you too. Yeah, there's a lot of interest in Tasmanian sparkling. They, there's, you know, the further... Yeah. And it, that's the whole thing. You want those cooler climates for uh, for sparkling wines. Mm. 
So to have those areas in Tasmania, especially southern Tassie, there's a lot of planting going on down there for both table and sparkling wines, but you'll find that yeah, they right. are, they're more looking at the elevated sites because they are, they are cooler. Again, for every every 100 metres you go up in elevation, you're yes. going to lose about one degree Celsius of, of temperature. You know, it's like if you drive up the hill, drive yeah. up the Dandenongs or go the, the, the high country or whatever. And I think the uh, some of the highest wines we have here in Victoria would be Cobar Ridge. Oh yeah, you're getting up there around Macedon. There's some yeah. there's some stuff. I forget the name of the place you put me on the spot. There's uh, another again, one. Cam. Oh, put, sorry, uh, yeah, but that's okay. But there's a, there's a place up around Mount Buller that's fairly elevated. But it's um Mount Buller. Yeah, yeah, getting up around there. Well, that's getting up. But you go to places like well, Champagne itself. That is cold as a. It's cold. <laughs> oh man, I nearly went <laughs> <let> there. <that. laughs> Something about witches. Yeah, and, exactly, yeah, okay. and yeah, uh, um, and and also the. Nastiest soils. Yeah, exactly. But so champagne's really cold. Burgundy like, with a I champagne mean, does it tough, man. Yeah, they do. But you, even you go to because um, it grows on chalk, pretty much, doesn't it? Yeah, they're sturdy, chalky, minerally yeah, sort of very, very sturdy. But, tree, but they're old, really, really old vines, so they can put up. But they're, they're hard to get oh, going. Okay. But once they do get going, they work well. But you go, yeah. you head south from Champagne into Burgundy. Yeah. And it's really cold there too. Like winters yeah. are freezing. They'll snow there. They, you don't underestimate how cold those places are. So yes. they do – those varieties do like it very, very cold. They, as we said so often, Pinot, Chardonnay love that, you know, cooler ripening period. That They like to ripen in the cooler weather. And I'll just drop the cliche because Matt's not here. Yes. And they reward you, do they not? <laughs> <laughs> yes, they do. G'day, Matt Stedman. Hope oh, you're listening. How you going? <laughs> Don't you love that? He would have slapped me then. Mm. But it's yeah. it. Carl's nodding his head, going, "Yeah, I'll yeah. take your word for it." Yeah, no, he would have. Um, Cliche free zone, apparently. Just waiting for for Matt to jump out of the um, waiting for Matt to jump out from under the desk and slap us all. He's just yes. been waiting. Yes, yes. So, but um, the varieties we we sort of um, the maybe some one of the things that. Um, some of us learn uh, early is that um, champagne is a blend, and then you can have the blanc de blanc, and then you have blanc de noir, um, and that means, if I remember, the blanc de blanc is just the white grape, so yep. it's just chardonnay. Yep. Blanc de noir is pretty much pinot, and then a lot of people go, oh, you can't make champagne from a red grape, and you go, yeah, well, if you take them away from the skins where all the pigments are, that can happen. But then you said something astounding before we came well, on. Well, there's also Pinot Mernier. Seven Mernies. varieties. Well, there are seven. So there's the three that people know. Pinot Noir, Sounds Chardonnay. Sounds like a musical. <laughs> Pinot Mernier. Seven grapes for <laughs> seven, champagne. For seven champagnes. Yeah, yeah. But there's another four that people don't know too much about. So there's Pinot Gris. Yeah, the grey. Pinot, Pinot Blanc. Another, another one called Arbane, which is a really old. Another one called Petit Meslier. Arbane. Arbane. Arba- What's its gig? Well, it's a really ancient white variety. Now, okay, to give you some perspective, there's about 33,000 hectares of grapes in Champagne. Arbane, there's about one hectare left. Oh. Pinot Gris, there's about 80 hectares left. Oh. Uh, Pinot Blanc, there's slightly more than that. What did Arbane do wrong? Well, that's just it's been. <laughs> it's been. What, what? happened when they when it's they the naughty kid when they declared champagne? Uh, uh, they had the uh, classified. They said you can only make it out of these grapes, but they're the Pinot Noir, Pinot Pinot Noir, Pinot Meunier, and Chardonnay. And but there was a whole bunch of farmers that had these old archaic varieties, and they said, yeah. "Well, we can't make money out of these because we can't put them into champagne." So they've got this thing called like a grandfather clause. So mm. you can make champagne from those varieties, provided they're in the ground. But you can't plant them. So this just oh. this just so what's happening? Who they're, says? 
Uh, the Appalachian Yeah, exactly. Dudes. Yeah, yeah, the App- Appalachian Council. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I was going to say something else. You've pulled me up on profanity beautifully um, today, um, Campy. Here we go. Yeah. I'm, I'm here to help. So, but save there, the kids' ears. But there's a few. Oh, they've heard it. There's a. There's. <laughs> there's. There's been a. Um. There's been a few. There are a few producers that are actively trying to preserve these old ones. They, they think it's like a bit of a heritage thing, so yeah. that you can get you can get producers that will make them from these ancient varieties. But if you're going to plant mm-hmm. in in our champagne, it has to be those three main varieties: Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, Pinot Meunier. Hmm. hmm. I, know, I know. I'm hanging my hat on this a bit long. We don't have that much time. I was wondering if any many you know. Hipster winemakers here might want to try that out here. Well, they're free to, and that's the thing with Australia. We it's can, free, we yeah. can, we, free they don't care exactly. It's no it's, appellation councils exactly. here. Exactly, it's a bloodbath. You can do whatever you want. You can plant any grapevine anywhere you want, anywhere in Australia. It does not matter. Whereas other uh, regions, you're very much controlled by what they, and uh, they're just protecting their brand of what they can do well. Bloodbath. Yeah, bloodbath it is. Wow. It's a bloodbath. It's a viticultural bloodbath, Cam Smith. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds very neocon of you to say that. Yeah. It's a bloodbath. But this, out one, there. this this one that we're looking at today, it's a it's a blend of the three traditional. It's about half Chardonnay, a quarter Mernier, and a quarter quarter Pinot Noir. I really like that blend. You sort of, Can near mortals find it? Yeah, yeah, just go on the Rohona Valley website. They'll sell it to you. Uh, right. uh, that's with an H. R A H O N A Valley. Um, I'm just going to pull in Carl for a little bit and, and just get. Yeah, you liked it. You just. Oh, I really did. It. Yeah. It's, um, it, thanks, man. Is, we like it. This is delicious. And right, Carl, tell us why do you like it? Just well, I must admit, you, as soon as you said the the apple the apples. Uh, element there, I thought, yep, I can I can yeah, taste it's just that. Really fresh. Mm. Yep. Like it's a really really fresh. Um, and it goes down really, really easy. And uh, what's the alcohol in it? Like, oh, 12 and a half. So there's that's a, the other thing that makes yep. it good that it's not face flambe. No, no, and that's what that's what we want with sparkling. This and a plate of oysters. I was expecting Thank you very a laugh much. from that, by but, the way. I'm sorry, Matt. Face flambe. Can I say it again? Chortle, chortle, chortle. Are you happy? Will do. <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing. Big champagnes can come with big alcohol. Yep. Um, they have all those. So the French are great because they have all the toasty notes. Mm. Um, which is great. And the more uh, money you pay for it, it's funny, the easier it slides down the throat. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. Carl's uh, looking after things delightfully well. He's got a big smile on his face because he's really enjoying the fizz. It's good, isn't it? It's fantastic. Thank it you. Really Thanks good. for bringing it in. Time. No, I just wish I had brought some oysters. I do apologise. I'll prepare better next time. <laughs> oysters. Yeah. Oysters yeah. go well. I would actually prefer a Ryan Riesling of those. Leak tart cam? Yeah. <sighs> You're wounded. See, this wound goes deeper. This. Uh, those that have listened to the show know that I have relentlessly... Uh, um, Taken the something or other with Ryan Riesling, but I tell you what, in in Europe, uh, the home of Ryan Riesling, um, the it's here's something really really weird, um, and I don't mean to bring a downer on your afternoon, folks, but realities are realities. The Rhine is one of the great um, lifebloods uh, for viticulture, but also trade. And I heard some crazy news. That the level of the river is so low now, they can't put the big ships down the river to take 
to take freight. Yeah, it's a crap state of affairs, to be frank. The, um, it is. Yeah, there, there's uh, – it's, it's, Europe is stricken with drought and it's, you know, mm. my family was over there recently. I didn't go. Long story. Mm. Um, but the, Resentment, the, I can feel it. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm, I'm cashing but in on that yeah, one, Cam. On. Don't you yeah, worry about right. them apples. Yeah. But um, the, it was boiling. They were in Spain <laughs> and it was ridiculously hot. But I was there three years ago in 2019. Again, unprecedented heat waves. Yes. So, you know, these un- unprecedented events are happening a bit more frequently. But they're precedented now. Yes, they are precedented. It's like, one of my pet hates is in people talking about one in one thousand year events. When well, they happen every year, I think you need to just stop doing that. No, the averages are coming down. And there's yes. um, there's what's that river, the, the Po, the Po in, uh, in northern Italy that's running dry. So Holy that, that's you know that's affecting how much just agriculture in general. Like we, I mean, you get me on so we can talk about grapes and viticulture and wine and all that sort of mm. stuff. But the people have got to understand if it affects one crop, it's probably going to affect a whole stack more too. So if it's going to affect a vineyard, it's going to affect you know hazelnuts, almonds, whatever it may be. If everything needs water and everything yeah. needs some sort of stable temperature. So a lot of alarm bells are ringing for that. And especially when you look at um, a place like Bordeaux that has got wildfires around. Like, I've not heard of that. They're probably and Bordeaux's got some of the most famous wineries in the world, you know. And they... The big guns. Yeah, and they... Big bucks. And yeah. when you've got fires that are just east of, the, of Bordeaux itself and all those uh, winds are blowing them straight across those vineyards, you've got millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of grapes on those vines that are a threat of getting um, tainted by smoke. And we've bunged and, on about and, smoke and taint we before. Were, we sure have. Yeah. Like, uh, case in point, King Valley, two vintages were pretty much cancelled mm-hmm. because of the effect of smoke, yep. which gets absorbed by the skin of the wine and then it gets expressed within uh, the end product. And I never thought in my lifetime that I would be saying, has Bordeaux been affected by smoke taint? Has it yet? Is it, is the- there's, there's, I've been reading up a bit about there's a lot of smoke around and it does just – the thing with smoke, if there's no wind, it'll just sit mm. and it, and the the closer you get to picking, mm. the more likely the effect because it sits around – it just sits on the grapes and it can't come through in the wines. We've got 30 seconds left. Tell us something good. I went to see Kiss last night. Yeah, well, there we go. That's a that's a good thing to finish up on. Seriously, it was it was hysterical. It's, I've never laughed so hard at something that's not supposed to be a comedy. They do all <laughs> the things you want to see. It is, and my son self parody caught a plectrum thrown by Paul Stanley, and he was in bits. He and his mate did too. Yeah, they both did. They both went down the front. Oh, they made it down the front. A couple of ten year old boys in their Kiss makeup, and they both brought home a Paul Stanley plectrum. So that was the highlight of my week. Wow. Apart from seeing you, Cam, that's heaps better than Kiss. I promise. Uh, as if I believe that. Carl, you rock. Hi, this is Cam Smith, and you've been listening to the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. <laughs>